my god. How did you spill caramel corn? The bag is sideways, so I can just like reach in there instead of like having like going like that and make a shit ton of noise. And I pulled one piece of popcorn on the. <laughs> nice. There's some caramel corn on this floor. That. <laughs> this is what it gets for fucking around with my podcast shit. Yeah, it, I mean you're not you're not like in my house, so I certainly don't care as much. <laughs> not that uh, not that that matters anyway. You see all this stuff behind me, lovely patrons. You see all that. Uh, that is a a product of not uh getting moved in properly and then not spending enough time at home to actually fix anything. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> you, you said to record, record, and then we <laughs> Welcome to the Into the Burrow podcast here on the Burrow Reviews Network. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Jared, and joining me as always is Spooky Linda. <laughs> Let me tell you, we've been sitting here for an hour trying to figure out video and audio problems, and we are just now getting around to actually doing something about it. Yeah, so for those of you who are going to be seeing and watching this, um, please pardon my lack of professionalism because I usually work on a three monitor system at my friend's house and the middle monitor has just completely stopped working for me and I can't move any of my windows to the other monitor where the micro or not the microphone the, uh, the camera is set up at so I've got far monitor to look at everything I've got a camera right here, way over here, so I'm just kind of looking back and forth. My my microphone is working fine now, but my headsets, none of my headsets were working, so I am listening to Jared through FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, we are simultaneously on Zencaster and FaceTime. That's that's the setup. Yep, and I've got my I've got my caramel corn that I am spilling on my friends. And I'm on new voltage because this is way harder than it needs to be. <laughs> it really is. So, yeah, very elaborate, but I think thinking outside of the box is gonna do us some good. I'm, I'm still struggling to just look at the camera. Look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. It's been a good time. It's been a few months, Linda. When was our when was the last podcast that we did like in at the very beginning of October, right? It was. Cuz we were going to do a end of the year thing and we never did. No, we never did anything. <laughs> I got super busy. I, you know, at I'm still at the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Still at ACX Cinema 12. See that see that little guy. And um and the fun thing about that was we only had three managers during the holidays with Spider-Man No Way Home. So I ended up working like 70, 80-hour work weeks for a lot of weeks straight there. So I was a little busy, to say the least. And I know you were busy as well. So life. It got us. It got us real good. 
It did. It did. But we are back. We uh, d- did you think that we weren't going to come back for for Scream somehow, some way? Of course we were. <laughs> Everyone was asking me like, Linda, are you going to record for Scream? And I was like, oh man, I, I hope so. <laughs> we better. I've got things to say. Yeah. Well, even like today, like I technically probably should have went into work for a little bit because they were kind of, I mean, it's MLK day when we're recording this and they were a little bit behind this morning and really I should have gone in. But at the same time, I was like, I haven't gotten to record in so long that I need to record. I just need to. You do you. They will be fine without you for a couple of hours. They will be fine without you for <laughs> I swear to God, if you are not a patron yet, patreon.com slash the borough reviews. The video version of this podcast is always just a treat. It really is. Like, God, you are doing something. You, I think we were talking about, like, sex scenes in 80s slasher films, and you decided to reenact one, and that was lovely. I think we can talk about the Fear Street trilogy. You know, the fun thing about doing podcasts and, and videos is we have a whole plethora of like video clips that we easily could blackmail each other with. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> wow, trust. So, trust is on a deeper level over here. For real. Um, so... As you can see from the title of this podcast, we are talking Scream today, uh, and just Scream. Usually we would do a news bit. Um, in lieu of doing like a news bit or something, I want to talk about first the box office for Scream 2022 or Scream 5, uh, as we're going to respectively call it. Um, so it is the first movie to slashed Spider-Man No Way Home down uh, from being number one at the box office since December 17th. So it's the, you know, it's been a whole month and it's the first movie to actually uh, top Spider-Man No Way Home. And so that's a pretty neat tidbit, but it took a haul of uh, 34 million over the four day uh, Martin Luther King Jr. uh, day weekend. And so it's a pretty good number. It's a pretty good figure. I'm going to be quite honest. I was scared. I was a little scared a month out. So last month at this time, if you had asked me, you know, with growing concerns of Omicron, with growing concerns of um, people's trust in going out into public, uh, mixed with the just January wintertime blues that we all get here in the Midwest, um, specifically at my location, I thought that we were going to see a huge decline at the box office. And, you know, we unfortunately wouldn't... um, wouldn't get a, a Scream movie that debuted to a decent amount of money. But, you know, we we did, surprisingly. So, Linda, first question for you is, um, where did you think Scream was going to land uh, in, at the box office? And then more importantly, it had a production budget of $25 million. Did you think it was going to be able to make back its production budget in the first weekend? I was guessing it was going to be... I don't even know how much it did make. I, mean, I would say like forty mil. I think it would have made like like forty mil. Really? Historically, these haven't been. I mean, for- I mean, 
need to get the statistics on this. Like, usually January movies don't don't do well. Because it's January. Don't they, like, lump all of, like, the shitty stuff that they have to make in January? They're doing it less so, so we're seeing more and more good movies actually come in January. But, like, for instance, for the Scream franchise, you know, Scream 4 only made, it only debuted to 18 million. Uh, I don't know where everyone was for Scream 4, but they did not turn out for that movie. And that's why we had to wait a decade. I tried to do my part, and I kept trying to go, but my parents won't let me. Oh, I went twice for Scream 4 uh, in theaters. You lucky bitch. Because, of course, I did. Um, yeah, but I... Uh, and then, you know, I think the others kind of debuted... Scream, obviously, the original 1996 debuted to a lower number, but it had legs at the box office. So it ended up, you know, making back its production budget, um, and it ended up, you know, profiting a lot of money. Scream 2 and Scream 3, I think, both debuted around $30 million, if my memory suits me correctly. Um, so this one is, uh, I think Scream 3 was like $36 million and Scream 2 was like 34 or 32 So this is right on par with those two. Um, it's a promising sign. Maybe, maybe it shows that more people that haven't been into this franchise are finally getting out to go see it. Um, and seeing what all the hype's about, which makes me excited. Um, as was your experience with going to the movies uh, to see Scream, right? You went with a couple of people that hadn't watched it, like literally any of the other ones. So talk a little bit about their experience with it compared to someone who, you, who has seen all of them. Someone with just a little bit of experience in Scream. <laughs> So I uh, I went with like one of my best friends in the whole world and my boyfriend and I actually told my sister that she wasn't allowed to go because we're actually in the middle of watching the screen, she and I. Right now we just finished the fourth or not the fourth one, the third one before I went and saw Scream on Saturday. So she has one more to go and then she can watch whatever she wants. <laughs> but um we we watched it together and as they're not even like horror fans, keep in mind, like they'll, they'll watch horror movies because of who I am as a person. Uh, but they're not, you know, they don't have the fanatic in them either. They're just, you know, they're just casual movie goers. So having a film like Scream, where it's kind of catered to a horror fan, the, the occasional horror fan, I guess I should say, um, there were a lot of things, like, they still enjoyed it. They enjoyed it for what it was at the end of the day, which should have been obvious. It's Scream. Everyone enjoys it. But <laughs> um, there were certain things that just didn't make sense to them. Like, they didn't know the significance of Billy Loomis. They didn't understand the whole meta commentary. They thought that Scream was just over the top and super cheesy, um, breaking the fourth wall type of deal. They didn't know that it was essentially the whole point of Scream, which is a good point to just bring up. You know, it's been over 10 years. You know, a lot of people are older and watching horror movies way more often. It's becoming a much bigger genre than it used to be, which fantastic. But 
that is something that you do have to remind people when it comes to an iconic franchise like Scream. Meta is Scream. That is the whole point of Scream. The whole object of the first Scream was to kind of make fun of the tropes that are so often used in horror movies and and just to kind of be very self-aware. And yeah, it's just I I really wasn't sure what where they were going with the with the meta in Scream Five and the way they did it. Oh my god, I don't know why I didn't think of it before, but it made so much it made so much sense. Like the thing I really like about the Scream movies is that it only comes out when there's something new to be brought with with horror, you know, because with uh, Scream, it was making fun of essentially like 80s, 90s slashers. And then, you know, sequels have always been around, but, you know, it, it's Scream 2, so of course it's a sequel, so they have to go over it. And then Scream 3, again, like trilogies have always been a thing, but um, it was it was kind of rarely used in horror at that time, I feel like. And then Scream 4, it came out when there was, like, that boom, that huge boom of remakes. And, you know, so obviously with Scream 4, they were going over the remake rules and everything. And then Scream 4, I don't know why I didn't think about requels. Because I really didn't. That did not come to mind. And that is true. Like, with Halloween and, and everything, like, requels are kind of the thing with horror trying to revitalize and revive the the old horror film so i just i felt really dumb watching it like not knowing what trope they were going to go with next and i'm a little ashamed of myself and not gonna lie i don't think they they really noticed that either because if they did i'm really gonna kill them <laughs> yeah <clears throat> um so no, no, that was great. Um, that was great. Uh, so to kind of piggyback off that then, how do you feel that this movie, non-spoiler right now, so we'll give everyone a chance to kind of settle in with the discussion before we move into full-blown spoiler territory, but um, how do you feel that this movie fits into the canon of Scream that we know and have come to love over the years, uh, where does it sit for you? Not necessarily a ranking, but just your overall thoughts about it. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, I saw exactly what they were doing. I, I understood completely why they did what they did. Um, it just, as, like, it, it, I really liked the film. Don't get me wrong. I really did like it. But it just felt like growing up loving these characters that I've stuck with for so long and have done the same thing. It just, I don't know. It just kind of... It made me a little sad to see them be so tired. I talked to you a little bit about that that night that I watched it. It just, I don't know. It just, it really saddened me. It was like watching like one of the first films to kind of start off my devotion to horror. Just kind of 
be so tired. <laughs> it made me sad. It made me really sad. And I feel like I didn't get a good enough chance to to bond with these new characters enough to to get that to get that love and like transfer it to another character. I feel like I didn't get to know the characters well enough to be able to do that. So it just kind of felt like my my heart was pretty heavy at the end of the film. Which, you know, I feel like would say a lot about how much I love these movies and how much this movie, like, meant to me as, like, you know, who knows if there's even going to be another screen, which is why I wanted to see it in theaters so bad. Like, it was my last chance to watch one of these in theaters. Possibly. I mean, who knows? But, yeah, and so just, I don't know. I just felt really sad after. Yeah. Um, I get what you mean. Uh, they had a delicate balance to follow the the directors. You know, it's the first film in the Scream franchise not directed by the late Wes Craven. Um, there are some beautiful tributes to Wes Craven in this movie. I feel like the filmmakers really did understand the assignment when it came to following up such an iconic director. Um, so the directors, uh, known as Radio Silence. Um, Tyler Gillette and Matt Bentinelli Olpin uh, are really, really good at making sure that they are aware of what they are doing. Um, that's I got that the most out of these new directors is that they were aware how much the series meant to longtime fans. Um, so much so that they maybe had to push the direction of the film into a new direction to keep it from dying basically um they kind of had to push the envelope a little bit in some certain instances and we'll talk about it more in uh spoilers that you you know some longtime fans may have an issue with um i'll tell you right now that i had an issue with some of the stuff um my first viewing now i saw it i <laughs> um I saw it at midnight when I could. The moment that the keys unlocked, I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm hopping on it. Um, so I saw it, you know, I saw it at midnight and then I saw it again at 7 p.m. the next day in a packed theater. Um, and so I, I got both experiences. I got to have, I got to have my own experience and kind of a more low key screening. And I got to have a, um, an actual theater experience. And by the time that I finished the second viewing, uh, for me, it kind of cemented a lot of my feelings that I was kind of torn on after first viewing, um, because I understand what you're saying. There, there are some moments in this that feel distant, almost, where I wanted to feel closer. Um, I feel like that was totally intentional after watching it a second time, and I feel like it's the only way to to fully let go. It it's kind of it's it's a hard it's it's like an abrupt stop in some ways but like at the same time um thinking about the original scream the the to touch on what you were talking about about the characters um the characters weren't really like fleshed out in in the original scream either they had a little bit more banter back and forth about life about you could you could really see where some of these characters were coming from and i think the challenge that these filmmakers had is there's a lot of finger pointing in this movie you know scream at the base is a whodunit and there's almost too much finger pointing in the dialogue for it to for you to really get a sense between how these characters operate as a friend group 
And I feel like that was the major downfall that kind of led it to maybe not feel like the others so much. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I, I do like a lot of the swings that they took. Um, they took some pretty big swings here. And I feel like if you're a longtime fan, you're going to be treated. Um, you're going to be treated to some really like heartfelt moments that I was like, oh my God, there's so many things in this movie that do great fan service without without blatantly doing fan service, right? We talked about Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, at a certain point, Marvel feels like they are doing things just for fan service and out of fan service and not to serve the story purposefully. But there are things in this movie that make sense for it to be in there. And it's just subtle nods. It Most of them are just subtle. They're subtle. They're not in your face with it. It's like, if you're a longtime fan, you're going to know exactly what's going on. But like you don't necessarily it's not it's not at the forefront of the scene or of the story at at front. So you do have this main trajectory going forward. Uh, and I feel like they carry it really well based on just the box office numbers alone and the critical reception. I think Paramount would be stupid not to greenlight another. I, I, I think it would be a misstep if they didn't. If if you want to keep this franchise alive and it's profitable as it is, as we've seen it be, um, in this one specifically, then you you almost have to green light another one and and uh, you know carry on with what we're left at the end of this film. Um, I think there's a way to do it, and I think that there is a path forward, even though it may not be the path that we envisioned in our head as longtime fans. And that's kind of where I stand on the non-spoiler side of things. If, you, if you're if you a fan of Scream, I do recommend that you see it. Um, if you're a toxic fan of Scream, this movie's making fun of you. Uh, it is making fun of you. I will flat out say that this, this movie is able to poke fun at itself and poke fun at its fans without being completely ruthless to them. Like, um, uh, unless you're really, really toxic and then it's definitely it's definitely like making fun of you but um if you're not a toxic fan and you can appreciate what they're trying to say with this movie it's it's actually kind of fun it's super meta it's super fun um i i love so many aspects of where they went with the story direction and how it speaks to different things today that we're experiencing you brought up requels you brought up the fact that this movie is kind of making fun of the whole, well, we're going to, you know, make Scream 5, but we're not going to call it Scream 5. We're going to call it Scream. And it's going to be, you know, this kind of reimagining, this reinventing without entirely erasing what came before it, like like Halloween has done, like, you know, Terminator. And they list out some of these different things uh, in the movie itself. And, um, you know, I, I think it's inventive uh, with what it was doing. I think it's smart. Um but yeah, overall, I say I like it. Uh, if you're a fan, I recommend that you see it. Um, you know, I'm sure that they're going to put it on. Well, they are going to put it on Paramount uh, Plus in what, 45 days after its release. So you'll see it soon uh, at home. But um, yeah, th- those are my like general thoughts on it. Um, I I think it's safe. Now at this point we're you know about twenty minutes into discussion. Would you like to move on to spoilers, or do you want to add anything to non-spoiler discussion before we move on? I would like to move on to spoilers. It, it, 
we can't discuss this without spoiling it. I we gotta we gotta have a, an honest discussion. Well, last question on the the whole spoiler thing. Then um, before we move on, uh, do you recommend that people like longtime fans see it, or are you thinking that it it might upset them a little bit? <laughs> In what way, Jared? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about what about new? What what about what about new new fans? Oh, I don't. I don't know about that. I mean, I I know that the whole point is to like bring in a new fan base, like like what they're doing with Halloween and everything, but. Uh, I feel like Scream is so unique that way. Like, you really have to go back to the beginning. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. And Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more within minutes of finishing your first recording. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. We use Buzzsprout and can attest that it is a cakewalk compared to some of the other hosting platforms that we've used. So what are you waiting for? Grab some gear that you already have and then find a quiet place to record and talk about all your favorite things. Following the link in the show notes, let's Buzzsprout know that we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and help support our show. We can't wait to hear your passion. I feel like that's what sets Scream apart from other horror franchises, is that it's one of the few films where I truly believe you need to start from the first one i feel like with like friday the 13th uh halloween uh even saw like saw there's like a chronological story going on but i feel like with any of those you could you can kind of start anywhere like with saw i think i started with like the same and same same even goes for like a nightmare on street like but with Scream, I feel like you you truly you gotta you gotta start from from the beginning and and work your way through them all. I mean, I don't know if that's just like I don't know if I'm the odd man out here or or what, but I, that that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about that. Yeah, I will say that each of each of the movies in Scream has a different identity to it. Um, so you're gonna get something new with each movie. Like it's not it's not. It's a new killer and it's a new motive. It's a new killer, it's a new motive, but more than that, like even if you think about how the films are made, Scream 1 is very different than Scream 2 and Scream 2 is very different than 3 and 3 is different from 4. Um this new one is kind of more in line with uh I would say it's most like Scream the original and Scream 4 out of anything. Yeah, it's it's a it's like a mash of the two best ones, which and I'll give it that. I'll give it that. All right. So uh, then, without further ado, you've been warned. We are moving into spoiler territory. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert is in place. 
please, if you haven't seen it, go see it. And then come back to this part in the podcast and we'll all discuss it together. But please, if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, this is your warning. Five, four, three, two, one. It's over. It's over. I'm lifting the spoiler warning. Um, (laughs) So uh, let's start. um, Let's have a let's have a laser focused discussion on the on the killer reveal, because I feel like if we start with the killer reveal, uh, everything follows that suit. We can talk about more of the meta commentary about what this movie's saying. We can talk about different things. So without further ado, why don't we get into our uh, killer reveal discussion? And the killers are no other than Amber Freeman and Richie. And okay, they made it so obvious. It was so obvious to me. I don't know if you thought it was obvious. I, they almost filmed it to look like they were the killers. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like the first one where you're like, oh, like, you're, you're not right. Like, they make it obvious that it was the killer, like, that Billy was the killer, and then they, like, do something, and they're like, oopsie, he's not the killer, and then in the end, they're like, haha, just kidding me. Okay, but the thing that they did was the thing in, from Scream 2 with Derek on his arm, you know, like, Richie gets slashed on the arm at one point in the movie, and I'm like, okay, like... <clears throat> it was at that moment that I knew that he was the killer. Um, uh, they did the same with Jill in the fourth one, the arm. Yeah. Yeah. Just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> okay. Okay. So how do you feel about the killer reveal? Do you like the killers? Uh, do the killers' motives work for you? First, I guess we should kind of discuss what the motive actually is. So if you want to cover that, feel free. The motive, see, again, this is why I feel like uh, they need to go back to the beginning in order to truly understand, because Thomas had no freaking clue what they were talking about with the stab movies. And that's like an ongoing, what's the word do I want to use, Jared? The ongoing... It's like, it's an ongoing kind of almost joke. In, it's like a motif. It's uh, yeah. Uh, so as you guys know, Stab's coming out with like so many sequels, and this last one, the eighth Stab movie, was like the worst one ever. So essentially, their motive was to kind of remake the Stab movie to make it better, which is essentially what requels do. Um, so in that sense, I get it but my problem with that motive is that i feel like it kind of almost recycles scream four's motive in a way the whole like wanting fame and i get that they want fame in like two different ways but essentially it's it's fame twice in a row for a killer motive um that and the fact that they kept calling each other babe like they're in a relationship when one of them's in high school and the other one's a full fucking adult yeah like am i someone that found that super predatory and creepy uh that that part could have been left out i didn't think it needed to be anything more than two crazy fans of stab trying to trying to get the studio new material and trying to remake. I, I don't think it needed to have a sexual relationship at all between those two. I don't think they did either. 
I liked the fact that they did not do the whole, oh, just kidding, I'm going to kill you and frame you thing between the two of them, right? Like, th- th- that's not existent in this movie. Like, it's not existent in this movie for, like, the first time, really, outside of Scream 3. Like, there is no, there is no turn of the killers, you know, from from being, like, on each other's team to I'm going to kill you and frame you. <clears throat> and that I really did like, um, but yeah, the whole babe thing. I agree. It it wasn't it wasn't working. Um, the culmination of the killer reveal in Stu Mocker's house made sense in my in my mind. Um, you have this new cast. You have people that are basically tied to the legacy cast members. Amber just happens to live in Stu Mocker's house. She just happens to live there. As if she wasn't going on Zilla with her parents, like, we gotta get this house, guys. Yeah. We gotta get this house. Oh, the market's just great, no other reason. It's just a really good price, Mom. We gotta move there. Yeah. Um, and the way that they use the house uh, is effective enough. I think it, I think they could have done more with it. Um, I think they could have done way more with the house, actually. Uh, like the whole point of that house is that it's it's huge and there are so many interesting things that you can do with the house itself <clears throat> that we get in the first screen that they just kind of didn't do here so it almost feels like they they built this up to culminate in the in the third act in Schumacher's house and then we kind of get there and it's like okay that was cool uh and then they move on from it <clears throat> so that's my one gripe with that but. Interestingly enough, like, I don't know why, but, I mean, anyone who's a Scream fan could tell from the trailers that it was gonna, there was gonna be Stu's house. And everyone knew that. But they still, like, kind of hid it and gave it its own reveal in the movie. And despite already knowing where they were, because I could, like, recognize everything, it... I still really liked it. Not gonna lie, I still really liked that that nice reveal they did on his house because you know, despite already knowing, it was just a really nice touch to it. Like it was still like an oh shit moment, and and I and I really liked that. There's a lot of tight framing um, when we're first in the house. That if you're not a diehard screen fan, you're not gonna you're not gonna necessarily know where that is, right? If you're a diehard, you're like, oh shit, here we go again. But uh, if if you really don't know, they it's a lot of tight frames that kind of hide the house a little bit. And yeah, and then they do have a big reveal, which I, you know, now that you say it, I kind of like that. But I feel like the staging specifically at the end after the reveal could have been done a little bit better. That's just my two cents. Yeah, I suppose. It wasn't good enough for Jared, sorry. <laughs> the the killer reveal, it was cool. Uh, I, I like that they canonized that Ryan Johnson has directed Stab 8. Uh, <laughs> that is just hilarious, first of all. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. This was something I didn't even know was going to happen. And it just... It felt very special to me. Like, for a minute there, I kind of had that feeling like, oh my god, was this movie, like, made for Linda? Because 
my absolute most favorite YouTuber, besides us, of course, is Dead Meat. I love James A. Janice. The Kill Cow, I was, I spent an entire summer just binge watching his King, his Kill Count videos. They are fantastic. He is really good with commentary. He gives you really interesting, like, facts and opinions on horror films. And he even, like, goes over the kills and, like, talks about how they do it behind the scenes. They are just, they're so great. I love James A. Janice. And seeing him in a cameo with his fiance on YouTube talking about the stab movies, that had to have been just an incredible experience for him. And I am so happy that he got to do that. And as like Dylan, Dylan knows about Dead Me because I would always watch them over at his house. And as soon as he came up, I'm like, Dylan, Dylan. And he's like, it's James H. And he's I'm like, I know. And oh my God, it was, it was, it was a good time. It was a good time. I loved watching him on there. So you were right. Um, the chrome face wielding the flamethrower was from Stab 8. You know what I love, though, is that, okay, so this is even more meta. Um, I absolutely love The Last Jedi, right? And I think I love The Last Jedi because it did a lot of things different than previous Star Wars movies. And so now when we're in discussion about Stab 8 and having Ryan Johnson direct Stab 8, and he's doing just crazy, insane things with Stab, that haven't been done before, of course I'm going to be the one that likes it, right? Of course I'm going to be the one that's like, oh, hell yeah, something new, something different. And uh, and and then, you know, everyone else is like, oh, we hate Stab 8. So in a way, this movie's a lot of, I mean, it's talking about toxic fandoms, right? Obviously, the two killers start killing people because they're upset at the last movie not being great, in their opinion. It's very reminiscent of the Star Wars discussion. So the fact that they bring in Ryan Johnson and and make him the bad guy again, um, but in a loving way, it's so like it's so genuine in its approach to toxic fandom that it makes total sense. Um, did you also notice while he was watching that YouTube video with Dead Meat that on the side the little thumbnail? Did you catch the thumbnail? Uh. Didn't it have something to do with uh, with Kirby? It did. It said, interview with Woodsboro survivor Kirby, Kirby Reed. And it showed a picture of Hayden Panettiere. And, oh, and apparently, in Dewey's contacts, when he goes to call Sid, uh, you see Kirby's number in his phone. Oh, that's so sweet. sweet. That's actually super freaking cute that he stays in touch with her. Oh my god, my mm. That is so... Oh my god! Yes. Dang! Yep, yep, yep. Okay, and once again, that just only further proves my point that if you want to fully appreciate and just emerge yourself in this movie, you have to go back and begin. Did you notice that everyone, everyone was right about Sydney's kids being Mark and Cave? Yep, yep. And it's just one subtle line, too. Just one line <clears throat> where it's like, oh, no, Mark's at home. Like and it's like, oh. yeah, we we know. And it's just all of these tidbits that they are leaving for the longtime Scream fans. Like, if you want to understand, you gotta watch these movies. Mm -hmm. Tatum's urn. We see oh, Tatum's yeah, urn. Did you see Randy's? Randy's memorial. Yeah. 
also they did indeed get heather mazzaro back which i was kind of like shocked at at first but i was like um i just uh i mean just, it was obvious that she was going to be their mother but just yeah. seeing her you're like oh my god Lisa! so it was it was nice it was, it was nice seeing her little her little cameo. Uh, I guess it wasn't really a cameo, but still her appearance. Yeah, um, yeah. There are there are many like tidbits in this movie that are just uh, great callbacks. Um, we can talk about the big reveal of Skeet Ulrich being back in this movie uh, with some de aging. See that coming? Once I saw that, I was like, "Who the fuck is playing Billy?" And then at the end, it really says Skeet Ulrich, and I was like. Yeah, just some de-aging that the de-aging effects were a little bit weird and it was a little goofy. Like if you haven't seen the other screams and that's happening, like you're like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, like, <laughs> but I love it. So, you know, at first, you know, and, and at the very end, so here's another callback at the very end, you know, when, when Sam is on the ground, she's just been stabbed, you know, Richie's coming after her and uh, she looks up to the door at the umbrella that's in the little umbrella holder. And I was like, oh my God. And then, and then she sees her dad, you know, Billy Loomis. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. Um, but then she sees her dad, you know, make kind of this gesture at this knife that's on the floor. So her attention gets diverted. But it's just little nods like that that go like a long way. They just go a long way. Um, yeah, it was it was it was really nice as a longtime fan to kind of catch some of those moments. Let's talk about the oh, did you have one? <laughs> this one was one that I was like kind of keeping myself. I kind of noticed it, it was like <laughs> and then moved on. But then Dylan bless his heart recognized it because I, I make jokes like this all the time. Did you notice the lemon square note on Judy's Every time we're talking about, like, you know, just, like, flirting or whatever, I always pull the, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lips. (laughs) I do it all the time, so he saw that. I was like, that's where I get it. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of love in here. Um, There's a lot of love in here. There really is. Uh, It's... It's a movie that that really is honoring the franchise as a whole, uh, in a in a neat way. Um, yeah. Anyway, new characters. So we have a lot of new characters that are introduced here. Obviously, we have, you know, Dylan Minnette, uh, who plays Wes Hicks. He is Deputy Judy's son. <laughs> oh. By the way, I'm I'm sorry about that, man. <laughs> We have uh, Melissa Barrera as Sam Carpenter. Um, we have Jenna Ortega as Tara Carpenter, so they're sisters. Obviously, Jack Quaid as Richie, Mikey Madsen as Amber Freeman, and then you have Mason Gooding and uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown as Chad Meeks Martin, um, and then uh, uh, Mindy Mindy Meeks Martin is her name. And uh, so there's a lot of good like new cast members to kind of like sink your teeth into and kind of. Um, attach yourself there's always one new character that everyone gets super attached to in this movie i think it's mindy i think a lot of people are are getting attached to mindy um and you know chad for that matter their siblings they have this kind of chemistry that just 
they didn't even need to explain that they were siblings, really, because they're so good at nonverbal communication between each other that I genuinely believe their relationship as siblings. Like, it's... I liked it. They had different... Sometimes in movies, they make them, like, one and the same, but with this, they had, like... They had different personalities, yet they still had that, like, genuine sibling banter without it being antagonistic, yet not too close to where you almost think that they're a couple. There's that, there was that good balance in there. And the, I'm going to just point this out right now. Mindy is going to be iconic in the Scream franchise because not only is she the first confirmed LGBT character to survive, but she's also the first POC character to survive as well. And I think that's pretty cool. That's like within the core characters, not just like a side character that just split. Looking at the cameraman from Scream 2. Like, she genuinely fought off a killer and survived. And I think that's pretty dope that they did that with this Scream movie. Yeah, there's a lot of things that they did different with, um, I guess, how many people are left at the end. Uh for you, who like performance wise from the new cast stood out? Because for me, it was, and I know, I know that you don't agree. It was Jenna Ortega and it was Jasmine Savoy Brown for me, um, and Mason Gooding for that matter. Uh, they're all exceptional here, um, and I really feel like uh, proud that. Um, that we got these new kind of character actors involved in this movie. And I, I really cannot wait to see what they do with the surviving characters afterwards. <laughs> I have nothing against Jenna Ortega. I want to make that a hundred percent clear right now. Tara, to me, was whiny as hell. She acted like a child, and I get that she was constantly being targeted by a serial killer, but grow up. <laughs> well, she's also a high schooler. These are all kids still. That's another problem I have, is the continuity with the whole Billy Loomis daughter thing. That would essentially make Tara 19, so I don't want to hear it. Like, yeah, she's a high schooler, but mm, if we're going to be realistic about age, she is at least 19 years old at this point, so she needs to grow up and fight back. And not just let a killer dip her out. <laughs> I'm so sad, and I started laughing, and I felt terrible. <laughs> she just <laughs> Yeah, how do you feel about the opening, then? Uh... Um... <laughs> I really, I, I get the whole fake out. I mean, I like, it, at first I kind of had an issue with it because I was like, where's my opening kill? Like, she's alive? What? And then I was just kind of like, okay, a fake out. That's 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 fine. It, it brings something new to Scream. Like, with Scream 4, there was like, what, two false endings before they got to the real one? Or two false openings, sorry. And so it was, it was different. So I was like, hmm. Okay, okay, and at the end of the day, I understand why they did the fault. They they wanted to give 
Sam a reason to come back. Um, but I feel like Tara should have died in the hospital. 100%. That is one, one very strong move in this movie that I 100% disagree with. I... I feel so messed up for saying this, but I really, truly believe that Tara should have died in the hospital. Maybe, maybe, oh, can I save the spoiler? Do you want to save it? Uh, we can, we can save it when we talk about legacy. Okay. I mean, I will accept other deaths in this movie, but Tara should have been one of them. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, for me, it looks like they are building this franchise around that character. I I know that you're... I don't think Sam is our true... is the true lead. I don't. I'd rather be Sam and Tara. I don't want her. I, I think Sam, if they continue with these characters, Sam eventually will die. Um, I think that <laughs> it's going to be Sam having to babysit Tara. I think it's going to be, like, Tara getting into trouble and Sam being like, son of a bitch, let me go grab her and get her inhaler. And I feel really bad for her. <laughs> um, I do think that uh, that this that this ghost face is just um, a lot different than the ones that we've had before. A, Roger Jackson had more to do with his, like, voice acting in this one than I feel like he has in any other one. Like, and then watching it a second time, you can tell who is talking to the person when they're on the phone just by just by how he's able to imitate their character a little bit. Um, like you know when it's Jack Quaid and you know when it's uh, like Amber. Like you 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 definitely can get a sense that he that there are two very distinct styles of of killer and that he is doing a really good job at at portraying that, which I I did find I found it to be more. Um, more fun on the second watch on the first watch i was like oh this sounds a little different i you know <laughs> there are just subtle like differences in this one that don't quite feel like the past um but again it has to evolve it has to grow it has to be its own thing now um so if it's what keeps the franchise alive then i'm fine with it but i do really like roger jackson uh as a performer and in, in this one specifically he's given a lot of material to really sink his teeth into um yeah, uh, I guess let's um, let's talk about the legacy characters, and then we can talk about who ended up, you know, surviving at the end. Uh, before we move on to legacy, why don't we mention uh, Kyle Gallner's character? Um, how did you feel with uh, with Vince? Oh, you want to talk about Kyle Gallner? Why don't we talk about Dylan Minnette first? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I like Dylan Minnette here. You know. Yeah. He's one of the few new characters that was introduced that I feel like they actually gave, like, special attention to. They gave a lot of special attention to his relationship with his mother in such little time. They have such little time together, but the time that they do have, Marley Sheldon and Dylan Minnette make the absolute most out of. I think it's the easily the best example in the movie of them really building something so quickly. Like, I, I 100% believe that relationship. Like one, there is not a doubt in my mind that they have the relationship that they want to think that they do. Like it's there, and a lot of it's performance. He's a very sweet. He's a very sweet boy in this. You you can tell Judy Hicks raised him right. Yes, like, he is, <laughs> he is adorable. I'll, like 
And so my Dylan like kind of leans over me and he's like, that guy's really cute. I was like, I know, he's doing <laughs> What do you what do you think about that uh, that that special that special scene in the movie, Jared? Huh? Which which special which which special scene? Which one which one are we talking? I'm just saying they gave him some uh, <clears throat> special attention there for a minute. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, they inverted the whole male gaze thing for a moment, uh, and I really appreciated it. <laughs> I <laughs> just. Just a little more. I need it. I wanted a little more. You know I, what I mean? I kind of like ducked out a little bit and Thomas was like, that's not how movie screens work. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just kind of like laying there and then I just kind of, just kind of peeking over and he's like, that's not how movies work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish. I wish. Um, no, I, I think... I think giving him, you know, the like the character name of West too is really something special, and they use it really well later on in the movie. Um, you know, Dylan Minnette's character doesn't make it out of uh, alive um, and very brutally dies, <laughs> very brutally dies. Um, that it's kind of sad, but it for what they do later on when they're at Stu's house again, and you know, they have that little tribute. You know, they basically raise a glass for Wes and as as like a theater audience I will tell you that a lot of people like were um very emotional when that scene came up like I heard a lot of awe like I heard a lot of you know like just like because it's it's a tribute to the character but it's also just a flat-out tribute to Wes Craven at the same time they're raising a glass for Wes Craven in the movie and so it's I don't know it, it was done really tastefully um Legacy characters. Obviously, you have the trio back. You have Dewey Gale and Sydney back. And then you also have Deputy Judy Hicks back, as we've mentioned. Um, I'll, let you t- I'll let you take the floor on on legacy characters. Um, I know you have some opinions. Uh, and I want you to be able to release your opinions into the world clear of mine. Oh, <laughs> All right, let me, uh... <laughs> oh, no. Jared? Yes? Dewey's dead. Dewey is dead. Dewey is hella dead. I was very calm in the theater. You were calm while that was happening? I was lying there, and I was like, they're going to do it. They're going to do it, aren't they? And I kind of had a feeling that he was going to, because in the trailers, you could see, you could see in Gail's face that something happened to Dewey. So I kind of had that feeling in the back of my head. And I was very calm, very collected. Might have tensed up just like a tad when it happened. And then I started yelling at you over text. <laughs> <laughs> I was not calm. I stood up. Like, you son of a bitch. What did you do? And I didn't have to say anything else other than that, and Jared knew exactly what I was talking about. Yep. 
yeah, I got that text and I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like... No shame, I pulled my phone out in the middle of the movies and I just started yelling at Jared. <laughs> As if it was my decision. What did you do, Jared? <laughs> now, Dewdrop is dead. Dewdrop is indeed dead, very dead this time. And you're right, the It's an Honor line did hit very differently. Like, that that gave you feels. Yeah. And you could tell it was that bitch Amber. Oh, yeah. Richie was, Richie was there, so obviously, but the way she, the way the killer said it, you could, you could tell it was Amber. Yeah. Um, I didn't like, after the killer reveal happened, I was like, nope, fuck you. I was like, you did not deserve to get that, that treat that of that satisfaction that gratification of killing one of the legacy cast members i was like you fucking suck mikey madison no not not she doesn't actually suck i'm not i'm not one of the toxic people uh but i was like god damn you amber i was like why do you get to kill him there have been so many other cool people that have like that have tried to kill him and have not but then i thought about it and on second viewing i'm like the toxic fans killed one of the legacy characters it's what toxic do. I was like, that is pretty powerful, actually. And then after that, I became more okay with that idea. But yeah, but you're right. Literally, I got up the first when when he first gets stabbed. I literally got out of my chair. I I stood up in my like in the auditorium, and I was like, "Are you?" And I was just silent. Right? I was I for those of you who are watching the video podcast, I was like this. I was like this. I had like my hand to my heart and I was like, and I was just like waiting. And then, and then, you know, he gets stabbed and then Amber pulls out the other knife and stabs him in the back. And I was like, oh my God. I know. And I'm like, oh my God, they're actually going to do this right now. And then, you know, and then it cuts to the shot of the blood spillage on the, on the hospital floor. And I was like, oh my God, they are killing Dewey off right here, right now. I was like, I am not ready for this. Like, and then the, it's an honor line before she kicks him down to the floor. I was like, holy shit. Like (laughs) that is intense. Yep. And it's, that's symbolic too. And Dewey called the killer. He called it. He knew. He knew exactly who it was, yeah. He knew who it was, and it bit him in the ass. Oh, and the fact that it was Gail that was calling? If I didn't know, like, if someone I love died like that because of a phone call I made, I would feel like shit. He also just shouldn't have probably looked at the phone. Yeah, what the fuck is he doing? Sound on when they're trying to fend off a killer. First of all, I mean, let's let's like let's take a moment to think though. Dewey's made some really questionable decisions sometimes, so it kind of makes sense for his character. It does. I, I don't care what you say as as a fan of the. It makes sense for his character to look down at his phone. It does. I'm just I'm just telling you, like as someone who loves the character, it is him. Um, but you know, like I knew the moment that he didn't go down on that elevator with. I was like, this is it. Oh, yeah, that was him signing himself off. Can we talk about Brian Tyler's music for a second? They brought back Dewey's theme. They brought back Red Right Hand. They brought back Red Right Hand. They brought back, um, 
Sydney's uh, Sydney's Lament uh, from Scream Two, um, which is super beautiful. It's a beautiful score. So uh, they they did a few things here that really, again, you know, from a from a fan service perspective, really like hit hard. But they did it in such a tasteful way that like I'm totally okay with it. Um, the other legacy characters, how do you feel about, I feel like they gave Dewey a lot. They gave David Arquette a lot of material to really sink his teeth into. And he really shows out for this movie. Like, I think it's easily his best performance in the scream like films. Him texting Gail was so Dewey and it was so cute. Yeah. Well, see, and I will say that he is like one of the only characters that really got audible reactions from people like when he when he sends the smiley face people laughed in my audit in my auditorium uh when people uh people laughed when he was like maybe you're the killer because that cut deep like to wes i was like shit i was like and people were dying laughing in my theater like they they were loving it the screen just totally just stamped the fact that dewey was the the heart in all of these screen movies. Like, every single movie he was in, he was just very passionate and very caring and loving of everyone around him. Yet he had that, like, super ditziness on him, which was, as you guys know, like, very overly played off in the scary movie. Just how yeah. ditzy he could be. And <laughs> but, yeah, it just... Oh, Dewey. That's it's very sad to think about. Um, and you he know, was like the big brother everyone would want in a horror movie. Yeah, and you know, like the way Gail reacts to it is honestly, there's a scene, and it's probably my favorite scene of the entire movie. I think it's the most powerful one, and I don't, I've never, I've not seen a single person talk about this. There's a moment where, you know, Sam Sam comes up to Gail in the hospital after Dewey has died, and they have a discussion about how Dewey helped them even when he shouldn't have and and how Tara, her sister, would basically be dead if it wasn't for Dewey. And there's a moment in, in there's a moment in Courtney Cox's like performance where you can see her say where you, in her head internally, she is like, he shouldn't have been there. She just goes kind of like, hmm, you know, like there's a moment of like subtlety where it's like, like if it wasn't for you, he would still be alive. And the restraint that that she that her character in that moment has to not say that I thought it was so powerful. I don't know if you read this scene the same way as I did, but I read it as like a she wanted to say something, but she's grown so much that she just kind of stops herself from saying anything. Like, I can see her want to say he shouldn't have been there, but, like, she doesn't. And that was such a powerful moment for me as a Scream fan to be able to see that kind of reaction in her head go and the restraint. Because any other movie, Scream, basically Scream through Scream 3, I feel like she would have said something along the lines of he shouldn't have been there, you know, or, but I don't know. I don't, did you read this scene the same way? She called him her best friend. And, no, that's totally cool. We have Tara, but we don't have Dewey. That's great. We like Tara here. 
Tara's great, guys. Jared loves Tara, and now we don't have Dewey. So <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I also like Kirby. <clears throat> and we have Kirby back, maybe? Kirby's fine! There's, she's, she's great, but you know what Kirby had that Tara didn't? Huh. A personality. Oh. <laughs> a personality besides the whole, like, oh! My sister has family issues that I didn't know about. Get the fuck out. Like, okay, I'm sorry. The more I talk about Tara, the more I really hate Let's talk, let's talk about, um, so we talked about Dewey and Gale. Let's talk about Sydney. Like, Sydney is very, very, actually, for the matter, like, all of them are very distant from this story. Like, they are not, they're in the movie, but they are not involved in the way that you think they are probably and i on second viewing and reflection i like it i i like how distant they are from the story at hand because they can be important to us and not be centralized in the story itself and this is the first movie that has separated that scream for love it to death say what you want they're still going on the og cast kick so there is not a way that you move out of scream for and a new direction because a the only person that survives that movie are the legacy cast members and Judy. Like that's it. Like so, there is no new like start to that franchise. There is no like like step afterwards. In this one, there is a step afterwards. I can I can now see a reality in which we get a scream movie that doesn't have those three in it. Like whereas where before I I I physically could not. I could not comprehend a movie without him, and now I can. And that's what this movie did for me, and maybe it's the second viewing, because the first viewing, I felt a lot like you did, um, where I was like, they just shit on the legacy characters. I mean, they're there, but they're like, except Dewey, you know, Sydney and Gale are really, like, distant, and they don't really, like, attach themselves to the story. So when we get to the third act bloodbath, um, you know, they have this moment where Amber comes outside of the house, they're, like, tracking sam and tara and they come to the house and amber comes out of the house acting like she's been hurt and they're and they're like you know sydney's like what do you think and gail's like a trick and you know and then they start like getting in a shootout um anyway i think sydney is so distant that it's almost i i think it's because nev didn't want to be centralized in the story again i don't think any of them did really except maybe David Arquette. Um, and so I think that this movie gives them a way to be the badasses that they are. Also, though, they're old, and in this movie, they act old. They cannot move around as well as, like, Sid could say in Scream 4 when she was kicking Ghostface ass, like, so so many times. Um, she has kids. You know, she she can't take a beating like she used to be able to. She can, and she does, and she survives because she always does. And she even references that she always survives, which cements in my mind, they are not going to kill those two. They're not going to do it. I, I don't think they will. In any in any future sequel, I don't think that they will. And you might differ on that, but I think it's to the point where they're cemented. Well, I mean, like, like I told you, it, just, it did feel like they were just kind of as the characters, not as the actors and actresses, because I have no doubt that they were fully committed to this film. 
But it just feel like their characters were written off as just mentally checked out, which you you also said. It just I I I do like the even as the core characters, they did take a step back because this movie isn't about them. It's not. At the end of the day, it's it's not about Sydney Gale or Dewey anymore. It was about these other characters, which is why they they get the more screen time out of screen. Yeah, no one had any intention of bringing them into it. No one had any intention. It was just Sam. You know what I mean? So the fact that they somehow get thrust into the story anyway is hilarious, one. But B, of course they're going to be checked out. They They had no involvement in this. And I, looking back on it now, especially with Sydney being a mother, like you said, you know, they're older, but I feel like if I was a mother, I would probably keep my distance too, you know, because I, I have to, you know, that's, that's a good moment to like actually think about yourself. Like I, I have to go back to my kids. My kids need me, you know, like I have my, my family to think about, like, this is like the first film that. You know, she, she's got, I mean, of course, in all of them, she's had other people to think about, but she's got something big to lose. So looking back on it, it's, it's super understandable why she would want to keep her distance from everyone and from this whole situation. Like, yeah, she, she has to help because she's Sydney Prescott and she will be willing to help anyone who's being attacked by Ghostface. But at the same time, she's she's got something she has to go home to. Yeah. And it's very sweet. It is. And another one of my favorite scenes between the Legacy cast before we move on uh, is the conversation that Dewey and Gail have right after they discover, you know, Judy and Wes dead. Um, that conversation gave me so much context about their relationship since Scream 4 and being divorced and, you know, her being in New York and him being in Woodsboro. And that was one of the more emotional scenes in the movie between those two. And um, I must say that it worked really well. Like, the whole plot device of Dewey cannot leave Woodsboro to save his fucking life, uh, you know, they they cap that off in a nice way and they don't make it to where they sacrifice his character of like, oh yeah, they're together in New York now. Like that wouldn't make sense for Dewey's character. And they really upheld that. Um, I mean, the only reason why he was living in LA was for a stab movie. Yeah. Because they literally had recreated a Woodsboro set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. How do you feel about Judy's death? Sorry. Are you sad? Yeah, I'm sad. <laughs> and the relationship between Dewey and Gail has always been so complex. Like these are these are two people that so clearly love each other and would be willing to do anything for each other. But then the minute they give each other a chance, there's just that opposing force always you know, right between them, driving them apart, whether it's location or, you know, this, that, or the other thing, but they, they still have a heart for each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, your camera's been doing that the whole time. I'm looking at a blur, you know, it's fine. but yeah, they, 
from the very beginning, they they always loved each other, and now he's all dead. It's fine. I'm fine. It's whatever. It's just you know, two people that love each other, and then they they just they. And now he's dead. So. Uh, I really, um, I got spoiled on Judy by one of the trailers. I just, the final trailer, it shows an image of Ghostface that's on top of someone outside with blonde hair. And I had already seen the set photos of Marley Shelton in that house. And I was like, oh, fuck me. I was like, okay, well, you just spoiled that for me. So I knew that she was going to die outside. Um, I wouldn't have known anyways, Randy, Cotton Weary, she was not going to make it. No, no, she wasn't going to make it. Um, I do think that they gave her so much material to chew on, though, that I'm almost kind of sad that they killed her off. Like, I fucking hated her character in Scream 4. I really did. In this one, like, they find a way to make it endearing. Like, I still don't like her as a person, but, um, you know, what's your favorite scary movie, Juti? And she is like, I like animated films and musicals. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you would. And the, the literally, yeah, they literally laughed out loud at that at that line. Like, and then, you know, like, she was so believable when she was like, no, don't hurt him. Like in, in her little monologue there at the end where she was like talking about how good of a kid West is. And like, I really, again, that, that relationship between those two is one of my favorite things from the movie in, in general. Um, and the way that, that it's not even like a jump scare. Like it is Ghostface comes like out from behind a bush on her porch and just fucking yeets her into the next oblivion. Uh, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, it's almost more brutal than Randy in uh, Scream 2 because, like, it is outside in broad daylight on a sidewalk. Like, it's not even like it's in a van. He <laughs> <laughs> just eats her. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, I had to mom do in my mouth when you said that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was very reminiscent of Randy's death. Like, that one wasn't really even a jump scare either. It happened in broad daylight, and yet there was still that same feeling of, like, helplessness. Yeah, it was awful. And and then they, they do a couple of things in the next following scene with Wes where he's, like, walking through the house, and they keep psyching you out, you know, with the doors and how he's moving around, and he's, like, plating for him and his mom. Like what? Cindy from the first one. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Where they keep like stringing it along. Um, it was done really tastefully, and and his kill was done really tastefully. A nice like practical effect, knife through the neck. Um, it was really intense. Uh, yeah, no, I I I thought it was done well. Yeah. So the reason why I texted you and said that I thought the killer was going to be Wes was because I thought it was going to be Wes and Judy Hicks because. Yeah. Um, the reason why I was going to say that was because I saw an article on Facebook that said um, a look inside Judy and Wes's like obsessive relationship as like mother and son. So I thought they were going to go the psycho route, like yeah. and totally Norman Bates it, 
Which is funny because they did like a total psycho reference in their iconic scene. But yeah, I thought they were going to go down like the like super close mother son relationship route and make those two the killer set. And then I actually read the article after I watched the movie and I was like, oh. <laughs> now I feel bad. That's funny. Um, yeah, there's another scene that's uh, very reminiscent of the original. Like, they literally do a scene within a scene thing with Mindy, with Mindy's character while she's watching Stab One. And they do this whole meta thing there. And it's honestly one of my favorite sequences. Um, because, you know, she's watching Stab One and, you know, Randy's character is, you know, behind you, behind you. And she's like, oh, wait, shit, maybe I should check behind me. And of course, there is actually Ghostface behind her. Um, I, I think she was originally supposed to die. And that's why she's kind of absent in that last, like, third act at the end. Uh, I think she was originally supposed to die. And they kept her alive just because um, you know they kind of you don't we don't really get to see what happens to her i mean she's stabbed like in the neck but like then after that it's like kind of like you know what sam finds her i think and she's like bleeding out essentially and then she just passes out but then at the end she's fine um i don't know like i I wanted to see more of her. I'm, I'm hoping that they do less of the finger pointing in the next movie and it's more, you know, character dialogue back and forth. Because that would really help her character a lot, I think. Because all she was doing the whole entire time was, you know, she's talking about requels. She had her whole movie monologue moment. But then, you know, she was pointing fingers like they all were. And that was like all the dialogue we got. Yeah, and that was, that was the other, like, thing that, like, why there was, like, a lack of any character development, any anything that I could really stick to besides, essentially, Wes, was the fact that as soon as they found out there was a killer on the loose, it was all just accusations and no, like, actual, genuine conversations with each other. Well, that's why I think the, that's why I think the Wes and Judy scene stood out so much. It was more about their relationship and their dynamic as people than it was about, oh, you're the killer, you're the killer. No, she's going to go pick up Lucy, uh, sushi for her and her son, you know, like, like, come on, eh, shut up. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I, it, it was more about their characters and how they interacted with each other than it was about, ooh, you're the killer, you're the killer. Um, so that's why I like that more, I think. So, I mean, when I was straight up making out this girlfriend, they were about to go do the deed, and then he was like, but what if you're the killer? And then that was it. I was like, Bro, you're about to get laid. I think dying afterwards is the least of your problems. I actually liked that one though because they sub there there is like there are references to sex, but there's I mean just like any mostly most of the screen movies, there's no actual like sex or anything, um, except for the first one, of course. But uh, I I really liked that um, that he that he didn't do that, and then him and him and his sister kind of share that moment where it's like. Yeah, I followed your rules. Fuck you. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It was it was endearing between those two. I actually like that moment a lot. Um, I also like that they kept both of them alive. Um, that was the other reaction. That was like the final reaction we got from the audience when they're wheeling Mindy out and then she turned, turns to look at Chad in the ambulance and he's doing okay. I literally heard, aw. Like, I heard, like, like people just, like, 
signal that they're like happy that both of the Meeks kids came out alive in this movie. You know, like that meant a lot to the fans. Yeah, it was a nice surprise. My money was on both of them dying. This movie had more survivors than any other Scream movie. It's kind of insane. Actually, I think, wouldn't it be, like, kind of the... No, it wouldn't have been. Yeah, there were a lot of survivors. Oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, you had Hera and Sam, and then you had, uh, you know, Chad and Mindy. Chad and Mindy. You also had, you know, the two cores of Cindy and Gail. So, like, six survivors. You usually only get about four or five. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's and and we got confirmation that Kirby's alive too. Like, I mean, you're carrying into Scream Six with more opportunities than you ever have. They didn't do the thing that Scream Four did, which was like, oh, let's kill all the teenagers, and then you know we'll not have anyone to reboot the franchise. What a great idea that was! And I love Scream Four, but like, God. I love it. I love Scream 4. It's it's still my top one. I know Scream 2 is yours, but I, I gotta stick with Scream 4. Are you texting me? Oh, I thought you were gonna talk shit to me. No. <laughs> no, I'm pulling up my uh, Scream ranked. Um, I guess that's a good jumping off point for Scream rankings. There's so much that we could talk about. I don't want to... Oh my god, that was loud. Um, I don't want to, uh, you know, talk longer than the movie itself. So we'll we'll go into scream rankings now. Um, let's just start from the top, Linda. What what is your top film to your least favorite? Oh, um, Scream, Scream 4, I don't know, Scream and Scream 4, they're like, they are one. They are one. I love Scream 4. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I don't care. I love it. Um, <laughs> Scream and Scream 4 are just, they are completely tied for first. Uh, Scream 5, Scream 2, Scream 3. Wow. Scream 2 that low for you. Yeah, it's number one for me. It's like um, it's like tied with with one though for me. Like one and two are the perfect pair. It's just uh, I I watch Scream two a lot more actually. I would have had Scream two higher, but Kyle Gallner's not in that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Kyle Gallner's barely in this one. Um. <laughs> Okay, okay. Here's the other thing that makes me think that, like, this movie's just a little treat for Linda. Like, this was just... This was just Wes Craven's little Linda treat. Caliano was in it. He was... I didn't expect him to live through the whole movie. I knew he was just gonna be a random body count. I knew it. I, I didn't care. I was like, if you're gonna have a random body count there, make it Caliano. Um... Not only that, but one of the previews had Patrick Wilson. And Thomas hasn't been with me long enough to know about Patrick Wilson and Kyle Gallner. But Dylan did. So every time, 
So like when that preview with Patrick Wilson came up, or when Cal Gowner was on the screen, he was like, Linda, 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 it's Patrick Wilson and Cal Gowner. I was like, I know. <laughs> and Thomas was just sitting there like, who, who the fuck is that? It just. I love Cal Gallner. I love seeing him in there. That was just a little treat. And it was- I think, you know, the opening kill of Scream is iconic. It's easily the best scene in Scream, the Scream franchise, period, right? We're all in agreement with that. Uh, I don't think that there's another movie quite like Scream 2 with the amount of intense chase sequences. I think if we're talking about the car, the car scene, if we're talking about, you know, Gail's scene in the sound booth, um, I, I I just feel and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's scene. Um, I think Scream Two has that best chase sequences out of any of them. Um, I just think it does. I think it it tops on chase sequences. Um, Scream Three is a little lackluster in the chase sequence department. There's a few of them, but they're like not really. I don't know. They're not really great, <laughs> in my opinion. They did some fun things with the mansion, like the whole like two way glass in the. Oh. Okay, everyone talks about the two-way glass. And yes, that's that's fair. That's fair. But um, I think for me it's uh, two, one, five, four, and three. Scream four that low for you, huh? It's okay, so here's my thing. It's not, right? It It's very close to this movie. Like in, in the, the vibe of it, it's very close to Scream 5. Uh, I think there are sequences in Scream 4 that are better than Scream 5, like, um, like, uh, the Kirby phone call, you know, when Charlie's tied up, great sequence, uh, the closet sequence, great, um, the opening sequence is good, uh, I think it's one of the best, Scream 4 is a strong movie, it's a strong movie, it's a very strong movie. I do not like Emma Roberts. I do not like her as an actress. I do not like her as a person. And yet, her presence in that movie didn't even bother me because of how much I loved it. Yeah, um, and the whole thing at the end too, right? Her reveal and then her going on this psychotic like rampage hurting herself. Like, uh, it was just so... It was so different. But my main complaint is that they did not leave the door open for any anywhere to go after that right you have your original trio intact that's fine to have them intact but like where can we go and i feel like they kind of back themselves into a corner with it a little bit um but but i think the reason why i like this one just maybe a tad more is that there is a trajectory forward in this one um i do think that a lot of screen force kills like um <clears throat> Like Robbie, I think Robbie's kill, while funny, was a little lackluster. I think that there were other kills that were, like Olivia's kill was great. Um, even Kirby's stabbing wasn't complete for me. So while I really love Scream Four, I think this one does more with the characters being killed than it does with, like before it was always like the kills are the kills, right? They happen kind of at random and like this one felt very purposeful with the kills we're talking about you know judy we're talking about dewey we're talking about very purposeful kills in this one like the kills are more closely related with their character arcs than they have been in the past 
And so it felt more purposeful. And I think that's maybe why I rate this a little bit higher. I I will say for Scream 4, I feel like it had the strongest killer, though. Between Jill and um, Charlie, like, I feel, in my opinion, I feel like Jill's the closest killer that's gone, like, that's been the closest to getting away with everything. Oh, well, 100%. That was the point. <laughs> it was like, she was, she was there. It was right up until, like, the last few minutes. She, she could have very easily gotten away with it. The very closest... So in my opinion, that to me that makes her the strongest killer. You don't have to have the highest body count. She was just the closest to being able to kill a bunch of people and actually get away with it. Yeah, I mean, Mrs. Loomis was also pretty close. She only killed one person. She literally only killed Randy, and yet she, she like, she, she was close to getting away with it. Had she just okay. she killed Randy, she can go screw herself. Okay, I don't, I don't care about Mrs. Loomis. She killed Randy. I'm still bitter. I don't know which one makes me more upset, to be honest, Randy or Dewey. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I, I think without Randy's presence and without his relationship with Dewey, Dewey probably wouldn't have been as strong of a character as he ended up being. Yeah. Yeah, Scream 2 solidified a lot of their friendship. Uh, yeah, that... That's a good point. Um, Scream 3, I even like Scream 3. It's not like I dislike any of these movies. They're all just, like we were saying, they're very different. And I feel like, much like 1 and 2 are kind of similar, uh, 5 and 4 and 5 are pretty similar as well. Um, there are potentially three different kind of trilogies within the Scream franchise which is kind of interesting you have the like woodsboro trilogy which is like one four and this i don't think that they're going to be in woodsboro next time i think that they are going to not oh yeah because sam doesn't even live in woodsboro anymore yeah they literally had to attack her sister just to lure there yep and i think that you know going forward it won't be probably in woodsboro anymore so you have the woodsboro trilogy which is like one four and five and then you have the og trilogy which is one two and three and then you have this kind of like new blood trilogy which is four five and then potentially the next one i don't know so there are like you know a few different ways of looking at the franchise as a whole which is kind of cool um i just like that little tidbit but yeah no uh I think they're going to greenlight another one. It's currently sitting at 76 on the tomato meter, which is, I think, the second highest. I think the original Scream from 96 is... Yeah. Okay, so Scream from 96 is at 79. And then I think Scream 2 is the highest rated, actually. Which is hilarious. Yeah, it's at 81%. Um, so Scream 2, Scream, and then Scream this uh, 2021 screen five and then it's four and three on uh, imdb scream and scream are both at the exact same ranking so 7.3 screen three understandably has the lowest ranking yeah and then scream two and scream four are the same on imdb interesting so Take from that what you will, based on our opinions on those movies as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just happy that we got another one, you know? 
10 years later, I, I just really, really appreciate the fact that we were able to get one more anyway. Even if it was an utter failure and they stopped after this, I feel like there are there are plenty of people that would have been satisfied with this, you know, being one last hurrah. Uh, but I don't think that that's the case based on reception and box office numbers. All signs point to a sequel being greenlit. Um, so I'm just happy that it was re- revitalized in that way. Yeah. It was, it was a nice, it was, it was nice. It was just, after having so long, I mean, even with, like, the TV show and everything, like, just giving us more, and, you know, without it recycling, like, major things, you know, recycling the right things, like, giving us just reminders and just little Easter eggs, something fun to just remind us of how how far we've come with this franchise, and yet giving us something something fresh as well. It's just it was nice. I like this movie. There were just there are certain things that I'm still questioning, like Tara's life. <laughs> her entire life. <clears throat> Come on, she likes the Babadook and Hereditary and the Witch and all the movies that I like. As soon as she mentioned Hereditary, I was like, oh, Jesus, Jared. <laughs> okay, Jared. You know what's funny is the film's making fun of that whole, like, elevated horror discussion as well. So it's, you know, it's like poking fun at everything, which Scream always does. But I feel like this one does it in a way that doesn't feel, like, mean. It's, like, coming at it from a place of love, which I'd really appreciate. No, Scream has always been generous and inclusive with all subgenres of horror. Like, it'll poke fun, but, you know, the way a horror fan would, you know? Scream, in of itself, is a movie that's a fan of horror movies. And I think that's why it's special. It's a special franchise. I mean, I feel like Scream would probably never be, like, a hardcore Scream fan's favorite, but it doesn't have to be. You know, we, we have our own favorite franchises, favorite horror movies, but, you know, there's there's a lot of hardcore horror fans, like myself. Like, when people ask me what my favorite scary movie is, I I wouldn't say Scream, but it that's because there's something to Scream that's just... It's a little deeper than that. It's a little deeper than my favorite. It's, it's just, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it's almost like it's like a living, like a living, breathing, um, love for horror. Almost is what it is. It's it it's almost beyond a movie, right? Like it almost has a life of its own. It's like being friends with another horror fan. That's what screen. It's like. Horror fans collectively getting together, and this is just the movie you you get with horror fans. And so it's it's more than just a favorite horror movie with horror fans. Like, I would say yours, what, Alien? Yeah. But that's just because Scream is just on a, its own deep level 
with horror fans. And that's what makes it so, so special. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really is special. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add before we say our goodbyes from this hour and a half long episode, which I feel like every Scream fan is going to love. They're going to absolutely divulge in this podcast, in this discussion. Um, do you have any final thoughts? I do have one funny uh, small story. Speaking of that question, I hate that question. <laughs> not going to lie. I do too. I, I cannot pick. I cannot pick a favorite horror movie. I, it's, everyone always asks me, when someone finds out that I am a horror fan, even people who have known for years that I'm a horror fan, they'll always ask me, like, oh, what's your favorite? I'm like, please shut the fuck up. I don't know. <laughs> you can't put me on the spot like that. I, I hate that question in general. What's your favorite movie? It's like, well, I have about 10 that I can think of right now. Like, what do you, what so, do you want? I prefer when people give me, like, subgenres. I can maybe pick out a movie per, per subgenre, depending on how many subgenres you come up with. So, I had a coworker at work who saw my purse. On my purse, I have two pins. One's like a little horror pin. The other one's a Fright Night pin. And so he was like, oh, so you like horror movies? And I was like, oh, yeah, I love horror movies. And he was like, what's your favorite? I'm like trying to like come up with something. So I'm like, I'm a really big fan of Wes Craven, 80s movies, slasher films. And I just kind of trail off right there. And he just kind of looks at me and he's like, that wasn't what I asked. <laughs> no, that's what you're getting, though. Give me, like, a subgenre, I can tell you. He was like, what do you mean, subgenre? I was like, well, you got, like, the vampires, you got werewolves, you got slashers, you got supernatural, you got haunted house. You've got, you know, 80s, 90s, cult classics, found footage. You've got, you know, alien movies. You know, there's... Right off the top Yeah. yeah. From which director, from which, you know, horror thriller, horror mystery, horror action, you know, just animated. The answer is Malignant, always. Malignant? Oh my god, that movie really did just, like, gave, it, that movie gave me whiplash. Oh, it was It so was good. good, it just gave me whiplash. So good. I was, like, audibly laughing. It was surprisingly better than I thought it'd be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it took risks for sure. Um, yeah, that concludes our Scream 2022 spoiler discussion. Um, I know we probably missed a few things, like, uh, a few things that, I mean, we obviously didn't talk about the killer deaths. I think Richie's death, you know, at the hands of Sam were, was pleasant. I think that Mikey Madison or, you know, Amber's death from Gail was nice. Um, Very unique. Very. That one, I I saw the stove turn on. I knew they were gonna do something with it. I just didn't expect. I expected like something to blow up, not just catch on. Yeah, um, yeah. I think all of that was super satisfying, actually, and I'm I'm happy it it ended there. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. Um, thank you so much for watching and or listening. If there is anything that you want to discuss specifically, feel free to comment below. Um, we're really good usually about responding to comments. And also, if you want to have a discussion amongst yourselves about this movie, I highly encourage that. Um, so please do that and go follow us on all the social media platforms at the Borough Reviews. 
um, or at Borough Reviews on Twitter and then on YouTube at youtube.com backslash the Borough Reviews. Ah, look at that. Look at that. That's nice to say. Um, <laughs> um, Wait, so we reached over 100 subscribers, didn't we? Yeah, we have 101. Which many of many of our subscribers are huge Scream fans, uh, so I hope that they are listening to this and they are enjoying it just as much as we are. Uh, thank you all so much for sticking around. Hopefully, you stayed for the whole thing. We will see you on the next Into the Burrow podcast and/or video. Have a good day. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, we did that all wrong. We'll be right back. Uh, <laughs> hey, oh my god, did you guys do any food? I'll be right back. Alright. <laughs> Bye y'all. Great, well now I gotta come on, so. Oh. Cut to black. <laughs>